Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone. So thrilled to have you as we uh, are, are getting ready, really, to wrap up our series here. We've been looking at these gifts of hope uh, this season. So I hope you've really been enjoying this uh, uh, sermon series we've been in together. Uh, for me, as a pastor, Christmas time, it can be a little bit awkward because when I'm preaching or I'm teaching, I feel like I'm, I'm battling a little bit the theology of Christmas songs and Christmas carols. Because it seems like uh, some people, maybe not you, but some people, they get their information about Christmas based on, you know, the Christmas cards and the Christmas carols. They're kind of the biggest culprits. Now listen, I love the Christmas carols, really do. Love the Christmas cards, but you can't get your theology from Christmas songs or Christmas carols. Let's take this for example. What about the song, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm. Now, Since when has the birth of a baby ever been silent or calm, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Add to that all the chaos that was in the streets of Bethlehem because uh, Caesar had ordered this census and people go back to their original cities of, uh, of birth and their inher- where they come from. And so there's that chaos. Add on top of that the angels in the sky singing out in praise. It certainly wasn't a calm or silent night. Now, of all the Christmas story characters, the ones that I think bring the most confusion, the most confusion that at least surrounds them, are the wise men or the magi. Now, even though the songs and Hallmark, you know, tell us that there are three wise men, three magi, the reality is we don't know how many there were. There were not three kings of Orient are. The reality is they were from most likely from Persia. And they weren't kings, they were most likely spiritual advisors or, or advisors to kings. They were king makers, we'll talk about that in a moment. And by the time the Magi showed up, Christmas was over. I mean, the Christmas tree was put away, the decorations were put away, all the presents have been opened. Jesus is now, you know, somewhere in the range of 12 to 18 to 24 months old. America's Funniest Home Video uh, did a video one, had one of their videos one time, and maybe you've seen this before, but it's a, it's, a, it's a video of a kid coming down the stairs on Christmas Day, and he sees this huge gift that's in front of the Christmas tree. And you could tell, man, he's so excited, and he just ran over to it, and he started ripping all the paper off, and, and, and the paper's flying everywhere, and he's just, he's just tearing it off. And then he, he, he's dancing around and jumping around. He's like, yeah, I'm so excited. I can't believe it. Wow, it's what I've always wanted. It's what I always wanted. And then he paused and he actually looked at it. And he said, what is it? <laughs> what is it? I mean, a true story. I mean, pretty funny video. You know, he's excited. But what is it? You know, I feel like that with the gifts that the Magi brought or gave to Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 says this, they opened their treasure chest and gave him, Jesus, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And Mary was like, wow, this is incredible. What is this about? Why did you bring these gifts? 
Well, we've seen in this series in week one that frankincense represented something. It represented Jesus. We know now he was our high priest, that he sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession before God on our part, that he understands us, being one of us, fully man and fully God. And so he understands us, and he sits uh, on the right hand of God and making intercession on our behalf. And then we also looked at myrrh. And myrrh represents Jesus as the suffering servant or the Lamb of God. He died so that you and I don't have to. Today, I want to talk about the gift of gold. Gold is the medal of kings. We're going to talk about today Jesus as our king. We've looked at him as high priests, as the suffering servant or the Lamb of God. And today we're looking at him as king. Now, before we look at Jesus as king... I want to have a little, bit of a, a little bit of fun here together. I'm not sure how it's going to go with you watching online, but I think it'll work out. So I do want you to participate. So uh, I don't want you just to watch. You, no matter where you are, no matter where you're watching this or listening, I want you to actually say your answer out loud. Okay, so can you do that? Can you join along with me? Say it loud enough so that I can hear you all the way over here at church. But really, I want you to say it. Just, just enjoy, kind of follow along with me. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to play Name That King. Okay, name that king. So I'm going to show you some pictures, and I want you to tell me which king does that represent, or what kind of king is that, okay? So let's give it a try, see how it goes. Again, we're not physically together, so I'm, not, I'm hoping you're going to follow along with me. Uh, our lives, or our physical service next in an hour or so, uh, it might go different. Okay, enough said. You ready? Let's try it. Here we go. When you think of Simba, what do you think of? You're going to think of what? Lion King, right? Lion King. Got it? Okay, you kind of got the gist now. Let's, let's see if we can do this. Anybody follow along? All right. If you think of a big gorilla, what kind of king do you think of? Hopefully you just said King Kong, right? King Kong. All right, try this. If you think of a Whopper, a burger, what do you think of? You think of Burger King, right? All right, you guys are getting the, the gist here. Uh, if you think of scary novels that have, some have been turned into a movie, right? What king do you think of? Anybody know what this would be? Some of you might know it. Stephen King, right? Stephen King. All right, let's think about this. If you think of interviews, we're going to go back to like, the, I don't know, 70s, 80s, 90s. People who would do interviews. What king do you think of? Anybody have a guess? Some of you might have figured it out, right? Larry King, right? Larry King. All right, if we think of basketball, who are we going to think of? King James, right? LeBron, King James. All right, I'm going to do one for the older generation in sports. Some of you younger people, you may not catch this one. If you think about tennis, who, what king do you think of? Anybody? Billy Jean King, right? All right, you guys got it. All right, let's talk about music for a second. When you think of blues, which king do you think of? Think of uh, anybody? B.B. King, right? All right, if you think about jazz, this might be tougher. If you think of jazz, any king come to mind? How about Nat King Cole? Does that work for some of you? All right, if you're going to rap, you've got Kanye, who recently declared what? He declared that Jesus is king. You see, Jesus is a king like no others. Jesus is not just another person born on earth, but he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. Today, we're talking about Jesus as king. Jesus is our king, because the Magi gave Jesus gold, the medal, or the gift for kings. 
Now let's dive into this passage, Matthew chapter 2. Let's dive into it together by looking at the question of the Magi that they asked. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 1. It says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, as a reminder from back in week one, we mentioned to you that the ancient Greek historian Herodotus, he tells us that the Magi were a class of priests from the Magian kingdom or from the Persian empire. They were advisors to the king. They were skilled in philosophy and in science. They were men of wisdom, and they were interpreter of dreams. To become a Persian king, it was even said that you had to be approved by the Magi, and then you had to be crowned by the Magi. At one time, uh, these Magi had a monotheistic religion, and they worshipped the god Ahura Mazda. Yeah, that's right. They were literally the first ones who drove the Mazda wagons. No, that's not true. But Mazda really was their chief deity. He was the storm god or the fire god. Now, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament mentions magi. They were advisors to King Nebuchadnezzar. And and, and one of the things they would do is interpret his dreams. There was one dream they couldn't interpret. and, and, And along came Daniel. Daniel was able to interpret this one dream of King Nebuchadnezzar that none of the magi could interpret. God showed favor on on Daniel uh, uh, through Nebuchadnezzar. And the Bible tells us in Daniel 5 that, that Daniel was made the chief over all the magi because he was able to interpret that important dream. Now, this is important for you and I to know because without it, we don't actually really understand the question in Matthew chapter 2. The question the magi had for Herod, which is, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, why on earth would people from Persia travel all the way to Israel to find this king? Why would they travel that far and even ask this question? Well, some scholars believe it was because of Daniel. Hundreds of years prior, Daniel had primed the pump, so to speak, of these Magi's ancestors. Daniel, as the chief of the Magi, he would speak to all of the Magi in prophetic fashion that there was coming a day where there would be a Messiah, a Savior, who would save the people of Israel and would set up his kingdom. He would eventually be the ruler of the world. So generations later, you have these Magi, and they come to King Herod, and they ask the question, where is he? Where is this king that we have heard about for generations that that started all the way back when we heard from this man named Daniel? Now, whatever happened in their conversation, the Magi with King Herod, whatever happened, it was enough that Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. That word disturbed is is a Greek word, terasso, which literally means agitated, perturbed, or shaken to the core. 
He was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Let's continue on. Let's read the story together. It says this. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law, and he asked, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? Now, that's important. Notice who he called. He called in the priests and the religious leaders. We'll come back to that later in the message. Verse 5. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. That's found in Micah. They knew the passage. Verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time that the star had first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I may go and worship him too. There's the story. Let's go back to verse 2 and verse 3. It tells us that Herod was troubled and all of Israel with him. Why? Why was he troubled? Well, he was troubled because Herod, was, and why was all of Jerusalem troubled with him? Well, Herod was just kind of the kind of guy that when he was troubled, that affected everybody. It's like that old saying, you know, when mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. It's the same kind of thing. If Herod ain't happy, nobody in the city of Jerusalem is happy. If Herod's disturbed, man, everybody is disturbed. Now, the reason he is disturbed or troubled is because of one word. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. Where is he who has been born king? Who has been born, I just said it, what? King, right? King, say that. Say king. Where is he who has been born king? That's a word of competition for Herod. Why? Well, he's already the king. In fact, Herod was called by the title the king of the Jews. So when he hears that there is possibly a a Jewish-born king, he's a little perturbed. He's a little freaked out here. In fact, what I want to do is I just want to quickly give you some context with Herod so you can know why it is he was actually so disturbed and why he was so freaked out about a baby being born. He was disturbed by the thought of this Jewish-born king. See, Herod himself... He was not Jewish. He was an Edomite from modern-day Jordan, which is east of the land of Israel. His dad, Antipater, had helped Rome, and so so Julius Caesar, rewarding Antipater, basically gave him the ability to rule all of Israel or Judea, all of that region. And when Antipater died, of course, his son would become the next ruler, and that was Herod. Herod eventually became known as Herod the Great, and he was given the title King of the Jews, even though he wasn't Jewish. It was a title that he held on tightly to, killing any of his possible rivals. You see, Herod the Great was cruel. And he was also paranoid. For example, he killed one of his wives. He had two of his his oldest children killed because, you know, they would be next in line to occupy the the throne. It was so bad, there was a saying that went, it's better to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's child. Herod was so vicious that on his deathbed, he ordered that the moment he died, that all of the leading class of people and rulers in the city of Jerusalem, they were to be killed. Why? 
Because Herod knew, the, the people didn't like, necessarily like Herod, and they, he knew people would throw a party when he died. And so rather than that happen, he wanted people to mourn. He wanted them to cry and to be weeping. So he said, hey, how's that going to happen on the day I die? The only way that's happening in Jerusalem is if all these people are dead. And then people will mourn on the day of my passing. Again, it was sick and it was cruel. He was so demented, so sick, so cruel that he's the one who tries to have Jesus killed by having all the babies in Jerusalem, two years old and younger, uh, excuse me, in Bethlehem, all the, the children two years old and younger, having them all killed. Why? Because he wanted to make sure he covered this time span of the potential of when this king had been born. That's the reaction of Herod. Herod opposes Jesus as king. But there's another reaction that you and I can have to Jesus as king. We also see the adoration of a king. Let's look at Matthew chapter 2. Let's pick it up in verse 9. It says this, After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them, and they stopped over the place where the child was. Notice it says the word child. It doesn't say infant. This is about two years later. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures chest and gave him gifts, or gave him gifts. And here's what I want you to notice. Before they gave him gifts, they gave him their heart. Before they gave Jesus gifts, they gave him their heart. They worshiped Jesus, and then they presented gifts to him. And I just think that's an incredible example for you and I to keep in mind in our own lives. We often talk about our responsibility as Jesus followers to give to God, to give our time and our talent and our treasures and that's critical and that's important for us to do as Jesus followers. God's even called us to that. But before we give any of that, before we give our time or our talent or our treasures, we always start by giving ourselves, our, just our very heart, our very soul, so that when we give our time and our talent and our treasures, that's really just an, a, a, an outflow or an overflow of a heart that's worshiping the Lord. In fact, I'd say this, if you, don't, if you don't give your heart first to the Lord, I can tell you what's going to happen eventually, maybe not at first, but eventually giving the Lord your time and your talent and your treasure, eventually that will be reduced to religious duty and religious obligation. It'll eventually become an extrinsic motivation rather than internal rather than genuine worship that's flowing from our hearts. And frankly, that won't last when the challenges come, when the hardships come, when the issues come. It'll go away. They worshiped him. They gave their hearts. And then they presented gifts. Now the last gift for us to talk about is this gift of gold. Gold is mentioned 385 times in scriptures more than any other metal. Gold, it was considered the most precious of all metals in, in, the, in, the ancient, in ancient times. In modern times, you and I might know that rhodium and its little brother palladium and platinum, that, you know, those are more precious than gold today. But back then, gold was the emblem of wealth. I mean, it still is today. Gold was associated 
with kings and with royalty. In fact, it was customary, if you were to approach a king, it was customary that you bring gifts and, and you wanted to always make sure that part of those gifts were the, was something related to gold, made out of gold, part of gold, that gold was included in that gift. So here we have Matthew, and Matthew alone of all the gospel writers who tell us this specific story of the wise men bringing gifts, including gold. Now, why does Matthew do that? Well, each gospel writer, uh, as they tell the story of Jesus, they each had different themes that they wanted to talk about. And Matthew's theme, the gospel of Matthew, the theme is that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. He's king of the Jews. So it's not surprising that he includes this story of the foreign king makers coming and presenting to Jesus this gift of gold, gold, a gift that is fit for a king. Now, imagine for a moment what this gift of gold must have meant to, for a poor young couple. Uh, many people believe have, and have speculated that the gold would eventually be used to finance their trip to Egypt when, when evil King Herod was hunting them down. And as we think of this gift of gold, it's a reminder to us that we don't simply worship Jesus because he is our Savior. Of course we do that. But we also worship Jesus as our King, as our Sovereign. Later, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, the crowds shout out in Luke chapter 19, blessed is the king, say king, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Pilate had a plaque placed on Jesus's cross as he was being crucified that said, Matthew 27, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. When Jesus comes back, when he returns, when his second coming happens, Revelation chapter 19 says on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So here's my question. Do you worship Jesus as king, as sovereign? Are you his servant? Does Jesus call the shots in your life? Does Jesus occupy the throne of your life? Does Jesus occupy your heart? Is he your king? Is he your king? A, a, a man had uh, just entered into the Navy. And uh, for fun, how about we just call him the, the gorgeous, handsome Michael Blanton? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're not following along with our, uh, on our uh, social media. Uh, Mike and Darla, seriously, that was the most funny, that was the funniest video uh, that you guys did on our uh, At Home for the Holidays with LifePoint. If you haven't been following those, we're just trying to make your holiday season just a little special. And we've been, as staff and elders, have been doing these videos each and every day. So, man, that, that was awesome. But anyway, back to the story. So, this young man entered into the Navy, and, and the sailor asked for a weekend pass because because he was the best man in his friend's wedding. And he got the pass, but the commanding officer said, sailor, uh, make sure that you're back by 6 p.m. on Sunday night. And the sailor had the courage to speak up, actually, and say, well, excuse me, 6 p.m., sir? You don't understand. I'm in the wedding. I need more time. To which the commanding officer said, no, 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 you don't understand. You're in the Navy. We now own your time. We now own your time. You see, Jesus paid for you and I. 
He bought us, the Bible says, with our very own, with his very own life. He literally paid for you and I. He is our Lord. He is our King. But the question is for us today, do we actually worship him as our King? Do you actually worship him as your King? Yes, you worship him as your Savior. You're thankful that have eternity with God. But do you worship him as your King, as your Sovereign, as your Lord What is your response to Jesus? Are you like Herod? Are you like those religious leaders? Or are you like the Magi? You see, Herod, he didn't want God or anyone else interfering with his own plans or with his own glory. Herod opposed Jesus as king. Now, here's what's very interesting about Herod, because it tells us uh, that he claimed to be a worshiper. Remember, we read the verse, Matthew chapter 2, verse 8. It says, he said to the Magi, tell me where he is so that I may worship him. Herod pretended to be a worshiper, but the reality is he wasn't. What about you? Do you pretend? Do you pretend? Do you just kind of play along with Jesus as your Lord? But the reality is, you don't want anybody else calling the shots in your own life. It's my will. It's my life. It's my way. It's my kingdom. Is that you? You see, if that's you, you're like Herod, following, you know, the star of self. Do you oppose Jesus as king? But then there's also the religious leaders. The religious leaders, if Herod was following the star of self, they were following the star of religion. They didn't oppose Jesus like Herod did. The religious leaders, the reality is they just dismissed Jesus as king. They dismissed him. They just dismissed Jesus. They just kind of blew him off, which is so bizarre because these Jewish leaders, they know the story. They know the scriptures. They were the ones who told Herod where this king would be born. They quoted Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that the prophesied ruler would come from Bethlehem. That's a crazy thought to think about. They knew all the right answers, but they had all the wrong actions. Bethlehem was literally three, four, five miles from where they were, but they didn't show up to worship Jesus as king. They just dismissed him. Sometimes I wonder if that same thing happens for us today. Do we just kind of dismiss Jesus as our king? Do we show up, whatever that looks like for us? I mean, you think about this idea of showing up for worship online or in person, and it's like, hey, you know, your spouse or a friend or, or just knowing that, you know, you're a Christian. Hey, do you show up to worship Jesus as king with your brothers and sisters in Christ and experience the presence of God? It's like, Nah, no, nah, not right now, not during COVID, not during this season. I, I don't want to watch online. It's not doing it for me. It's not cutting it for me. I want to show up. It's too cold. It's too this, too that. Or how about this? What about reading God's word? Do we read God's word knowing it's the living, breathing word of God, that it gives us hope, it gives us a future, it gives us freedom, it gives us wisdom? We say, nah, I don't really have time for that. I I, I just kind of dismiss that. I, I have other priorities. I have other books to read. How about we be part of the mission of God and all that he's trying to accomplish in the world and have this spirit of generosity and a spirit of grace and a spirit of being a servant. Nah, I have priorities. I have other priorities. 
You see, I, I wonder sometimes if we're like the religious leaders. We do know how to talk the talk. We, we, we're in church. We're a part of church. We get the religious world. But we're not really surrendering. We're not really surrendering to the lordship of Jesus. We're not really following the king. We're talking the talk, but we're not really walking the walk. What about you? Do you, like the religious leaders, dismiss Jesus as your king? Well, then we have, finally, the wise men. They bow down and they worship Jesus as king. See, that's the ultimate response. The ultimate response to a king, to show reverence, to show awe, to show that they are the authority in our life is to bow down and to worship, to say it's not about me, it's not about my will, it's not about my kingdom. With everything I have in me, I bow. It's the most surrendered posture that I can take before the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, you're my king. They bow down, they worship Jesus as king. I want to Look at this last verse here. It's kind of interesting to me. It says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, when it's time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Did you catch that? They took a different route to go home. So here's one last thought for you. Whenever Jesus becomes your king, you'll go out differently than when you came in. You'll leave a different way. You'll be a different person if Jesus is your king. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, uh, when you are in Christ, when you belong to Christ, you are a new person. You're new. You're different. The old is gone. The new has come. So let me ask you, are you actually different? I mean, really, are you actually different than before you said yes to Jesus? Is your heart different? Is your life different? Is Jesus really the king of your life? Because if he is your king, he is the authority in your life. So I ask you, does he have authority in your life? Does he have authority in your marriage? Do you function in the marriage in such a way that God has called you to live as a husband or as a wife and you say, I live this way because I surrender to Jesus and I serve my spouse. And Does he have the authority in your marriage? Does he have authority in your work life? The way you operate, the way you talk, the way you make deals, the way you, 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 you work hard, all that's involved in living a life that says, I know Jesus is my authority and that's reflected in my work life. Is Jesus the authority in your thought life? All that you allow to enter your mind and in your heart, is he the authority? Is he authority in your finances, over your time, over your talents, over your treasures? Is he your king? Because let me tell you what scripture says about this king, this king of kings, King Jesus is the one who gave his life for you. He died so that you don't have to. Scripture says he's the king of glory. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king who heals the sick. He opens blind eyes and he, he, he heals deaf ears. He strengthens the weak. He delivers the captives. He restores those who are broken. Those who are oppressed, those who are hurting, he is the king. Jesus is the shelter, your shelter, in time of trouble. He is a light in a dark world. He's the prince of peace. He's the lamb of God. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the resurrection. He's the life. He is the king.
His goodness, it's indescribable. His power is incomprehensible. His grace, it's irresistible. At his name, everyone trembles. The devil could not stop him. Death could not defeat him or hold him down. The grave couldn't hold him down. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And the question for you and I today is, is he your king? Is he your king? I want to give you a chance to answer that question right now. That you don't answer it to me, but you answer it to him and you declare it to him. So we're going to go before God and we're going to pray. And we're going to let him know, Jesus, you're my king. You're the authority in my life. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we call to you. We cry out to you, or you're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. And Jesus, I, I say to you today, you're my king. You're my Lord. You're the authority in my life. I choose to no longer live for myself, but to live for you. And if you're watching or if you're listening to this, if that's you, would you say the same thing in your own words? Would you declare who Jesus is to you? If he's your king, would you say something like this? Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I bow to you. You are my king. You are my Lord. I choose to no longer live, but I choose to live for you and for you alone that you have your will and your way in my life. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. God, hear these prayers. But God, I also pray for those who have never made Jesus their King, their Lord, their Savior. And if that's you, I wanna invite you right now to join the rest of us, to say, Jesus, I wanna give you my life. I want you to be my King, but I also want you to be my Savior. And if that's you, if you're ready to say, I give my life, I surrender to Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to pray with me right now. It's not the exact words, it's more you mean it in your heart. But would you say something like this? Say, Jesus, I come before you now. I surrender my life to you. I need your love, I need your grace, I need your forgiveness. I want eternal life. So as best as I know how, in faith right now, I give you my life. I choose to no longer live for myself, but to live for you. You are my savior. You are my king. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Jesus, help me to live this life of faith, surrendering to you each and every day. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. God, hear each and every single one of these prayers. May you be glorified. You are the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.